I have been told that we are going to have an egg hunt next Sunday morning after the sunrise service. So, where's Stephanie? She's gone. <laughs> Stephanie, I did it. I made the announcement. <laughs> so, uh, that'll be fun for the kids. Um, don't get into all this uh, pagan Easter and all that kind of stuff. We're going to hunt eggs, man. Uh, anyway, Exodus chapter 3, we'll be going through the rest of 16 through the end of the chapter into part of the fourth chapter. A lot of us do not like what our parents named us. And it's interesting to note, God cares what we call him. By the way, I bristle a little bit when I hear people say, the man upstairs. Why? Come on. Or the big guy in the sky. No, no, man. Come on. <laughs> and you've heard them and I've heard them and, and, and I don't like them. But God has made a point to appear to Moses and he says, Moses, I am the great I am. And this is going to be my name forever. So God cares what we call him. And he says, all generations shall remember that I am. God, or Y-H-W-H, um, commonly thought to be Yahweh, is perhaps the most correct name that we have for God. Jehovah actually is a loose translation of Yahweh. Now, if you're a Jehovah Witness, that's not very comforting because they put a lot of emphasis on calling God Jehovah. I am, though, describes God's authority and power as Yahweh. The great I am is everything we need in every circumstance. Consider if God describes himself as the great I am, what does that make you and I? We're the great maybes. <laughs> How many times do you not live up to your own expectations? But I am is a verb meaning action. We find ourselves using the term uh, I am in our daily uh, conversations. I am about to go and do whatever. I am about to mow the lawn. I am about to preach a good sermon, perhaps. <laughs> and we never mean for a moment that we're God. For he is the great I am. But our Lord desires us, his people, to understand that he is the great I am. And we talked last week how God will allow difficult times to come into our lives so we will cry out to him as 
the great I am, to rescue us. The only thing that stops us many times from crying out to God for his provision, for his help, can be, and oftentimes is, pride. You see, pride blinds us. It disguises our need of the great I am. And when trials and difficulties come along, and they do come, by the way, they're nothing more than a reality check for a Christian. It's God allowing us to see through life's difficult circumstance our need of him, the great I am. Now, Israel's time in Egypt wasn't so bad the first probably 100 years or so until they begin to be forced into bondage, into slavery. And it's when they begin to suffer persecution, bondage, slavery, hard labor, that Israel began to cry out to God. And then we have God setting in motion a plan of deliverance, and Moses will be God's instrument of that deliverance. Anytime we're in need or in difficulty, that should persuade us as believers to cry out to our God. And when things become difficult or desperate in my, in my life, I know my prayer life gets real serious. You know, I begin to pray with earnest when things are tough. I get a little more heartfelt prayers going up to God when things are rough. And I'm sure you're the same way. And difficult times and severe trials cause any prayer life to become more real. I think difficult times are God's way of showing us his children that we need him. And God appears to Moses out there in the wilderness, right in the middle of what he considers a boring, wandering lifestyle. And God appears to him in that burning bush to tell him that he is the great I am. Moses' life back there on the backside of the desert, we read that he was content. He was, hey, this is what life has to give. And he's content to follow sheep on the back side of the desert, but that is about to change and his life will take on a dramatic change for the great I am has appeared to him and given Moses his future plans of service unto God. So let's pick it up in Exodus chapter 3, 16, verse 16 through 22. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord your God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said I will bring you up out of affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Amites, the Amorites, the Perzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. 
Then they will heed your voice, and you shall come, you and your elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And then God gives commentary. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptian. And it shall be when you go out that you shall not go empty handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Quite interesting. Verse 16 there. Go and gather the elders, the leaders of the different tribes of Israel. And here's what I want you to say to them, Moses. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me. And his message... To our nation is this, I have surely visited you and have seen what is done to you in Egypt. The bondage, the slavery, the rigorous labor have not escaped God's attention. And I'm going to bring you up out of this harsh land of Egypt to a land flowing with milk and honey. That means good pasture land. For goats and sheep and that kind of thing. And goats, of course, producing milk and cheese and uh, honey, simply indicating a sweetness of the land. The elders, they're to go with Moses as he goes before Pharaoh. And they're to say, the, the God of the Hebrews has met with us and God desires that we go on a three-day journey out into the wilderness so we can sacrifice to our Lord God. And then the Lord tells Moses, I am sure, you go tell Pharaoh this, but I am sure the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. Therefore, I'm going to strike Egypt with plagues and wonders and after that, he will let you go. We have here God openly declaring war on Egypt. <laughs> and in particular, Pharaoh. God knows Pharaoh will not allow the Hebrews to go up on a three-day journey out, of the, out into the wilderness. And that's really not all that unreasonable a request. But in the eyes of Pharaoh, it's unacceptable. He cannot go along with this. And the course of history would have been so much easier for the Egyptians if they would heed this request. But they won't agree. The, in particular, the Pharaoh will not agree. And God knows this better than you and I know it, and we know this to a degree, that those in power 
seldom give up power, including Pharaoh. God knows the hardness of his heart. God knows how stubborn he will be. And uh, to relinquish just a three-day journey is beyond uh, his idea of being reasonable. A few years back, I think it was about three or four years back, we had a severe drought here in the our area, in the Tennessee Valley. And it did my heart good because the Christian farmers began to get together and pray for God to send rain. And he did. God broke the drought with rain. And in verse 21, Moses... He, t- he tells the Hebrew women, ask for articles of gold and silver and clothing from your neighbors, from the Egyptians, and they're going to give them to you. The Egyptians will give to the Hebrews gold, silver, clothing because they have seen the power of God and that God is with the Hebrews and they're afraid not to give these articles of gold and silver and so forth. You're there. You're on the scene. You hear a Hebrew lady say, hey, that's a beautiful gold necklace you got there. Can I have it? (coughs) Yeah, sure, take it. How about those gold bracelets to match? Yeah, take those too. They're afraid to say no because God has shown himself strong on behalf of of the Hebrews. And you note that. But it's too bad that Moses isn't afraid to make lame excuses before God as we get into uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? And he said, a rod. And then he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord... God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, put your hand in your bosom, and he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom, Bosom, and behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe, even though these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on dry land. I'm amazed at what he got to say is the unmitigated gall of Moses. 
He is so doubtful. His skepticism knows no bounds. And he says to God, but suppose. God is speaking to Moses from this burning bush. This bush that he's afraid to lift his eyes and look into the face of God. And now Moses says to the great I am, but suppose. Consider that statement. God has just declared, I am greater than any need you will ever face, Moses. And Moses' response is, but suppose. <laughs> the concern of Moses is not about Pharaoh and Egypt, but his fellow elders of Israel. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. And God's patience with Moses is astounding. And Moses is totally void of faith. Moses is so brazen that he is even playing less pretend with God. But suppose you can... <laughs> I mean, how many different things can you come up with but suppose? And in my opinion, you have one of the great miracles of the book of Exodus here, God not striking Moses with a lightning bolt. Or maybe he speaks to Moses from the bush. Hey, Moses, step a little closer to the bush. I want to fry you. This supposing question by Moses makes me realize how often I want God to perform on my behalf without me exercising any faith. God's patience with Moses, with you and I, is amazing. God responds with, Moses, what do you have in your hand? And he says, a rod, a shepherd's staff. That is so intriguing. God doesn't look around for some great sign elsewhere or so. He said, "Hey Moses, what do you got in your hand? What are you just what are you holding on to there, Moses?" And he says, "Cast it on the ground, Moses, and the rod becomes a serpent." Now, Moses flees from the serpent, but remember Moses is barefoot before the bush. You flee in the desert barefoot, not unless you want some bad things to happen to your feet. This is rocky, ugly terrain, and Moses is fleeing from this serpent. And then God tells him, reach out and pick up this serpent by the tail. And he takes it by the tail and the snake becomes Moses' rod once again. Do you notice anything peculiar there? If you are an outdoorsman, if you are one of those people that watch the survivalist programs, if you come upon a snake, a snake that is poisonous or perhaps that you are afraid of, let me tell you something. Do not, I repeat, do not pick that snake up by the tail. 
Not unless God tells you to, because if you pick a snake up by the tail, it will strike you. It will bite you. A snake only has one dangerous end. It's the head. And it's not the tail. And if you pick up by a snake by the tail, you're going to pay for it. But God has Moses' attention here. Something has happened that God now has Moses' attention because Moses now will obey God without a second thought. Now, whether it's tone of voice that God uses with Moses or what, uh, we, we're not told. But Moses responds to God instantly, and Moses picks the snake up by the tail, and it became his rod again. That would be a hard command for me to follow. In my little world, all snakes are cobras. And the only good snake is a dead snake. And I do kill them out on my farm, I'll tell you right now. But casting down the rod which was in Moses' hand is the first sign that God gives him. And Moses picking up the serpent by the tail, it's a great sign to me. <laughs> but God didn't search for a sign to Moses. But he just said, hey, Moses, what do you got in your hand? Doesn't I just show you the complete sovereignty of God? Think back. David goes to face Goliath. What does David take to do battle with Goliath? Well, I got a slingshot here, Lord. Take it, David. We'll use it. How about Samson? Samson slays a multitude of Philistines with what? A jawbone of a donkey. Jesus fed 5,000 with the loaves and fishes that a little boy had in his hand. This same rod which Moses carries everywhere will be the instrument that God uses to divide the Red Sea. Moses will strike the rock in the wilderness and water will come forth and he will strike the rock with his rod. But the second sign, and it's a sign that we don't always give a lot of attention to, Moses is to put his hand in his bosom and it will become white with leprosy. Moses puts it back in his bosom, and the hand is restored. <laughs> if Moses was anything like you and I, he's doing this. Ooh. I know I would have done it several times. One time would have not sufficed. How many times are you going to do this, God? You know? <laughs> and I'm sure Moses did it several times. But the question becomes, and we can't escape this, what has God put in your hand and mine? Scripture is very plain that each and every believer is given a gift of the Spirit. What are you doing with that gift? 
What gift, what talent has God placed in your hand and what are you doing with it? We're told to whom much is given, much is required. And what you may think is very common, very ordinary, just might be the rod that God wants to use to bless others. After Moses cast down his rod, he could never again look upon his rod in the same way that he looked at it before. He understands that God is using this rod that was in his hand, this shepherd's staff, for great things. So what do we have? What do we have in our hand? Simply put, all of us have money. Ah, you knew I could work around to that, didn't you? <laughs> but we do. Each and every day we handle purchasing, buying, credit cards, whatever. And simply put, we have money in our hand. And what are we doing with our money? Are we storing up treasures in heaven where rust and moth can't eat it? Are we storing up things that are not wood, hay, and stubble? We should be. That's what we have in our hands. If you've attended here any length of time, you know we do not pass the offering plate. I refuse to hammer you <laughs> to give or I refuse to plead for money. Giving is a personal act of faith between you and God. We try to make the giving of your offerings, your tithes and offerings, a voluntary act here. We refuse to have fundraisers. We refuse to have dig deep Sunday, you know. <laughs> but the question remains, what are you doing with those things God has placed in your hand. And I'm not talking only money here. Many times people are given talents that they do not use for God's kingdom. I personally appreciate a person that will give his time more than they'll give his money. God tells us he loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because he needs the bucks. No. <laughs> no, it's giving yourself away. When you give away your hard-earned money, you're giving part of yourself away. And God says, I love it when you do that because you're becoming like me. You're becoming my children. By giving to God things like money, we are pleasing to God, and it's that simple. Our needs are met here. I'm not trying to hammer you for money. I just want you to see that the things we have in our hands, we need to be giving to our Lord. Amen?
Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, help us to see that the gifts and the things we have in our hand are gifts from you. Lord, if we have talents, we're to use them for your glory. You have said each believer is given a gift. We're to use that to glorify you and help others. Help us to understand that. Help us to love one another enough to use the gifts we have to help others. Lord, you tell us you do love a cheerful giver, and we want to be that cheerful giver. So, Lord, allow us to be like you. Allow us to be giving and help us to do so. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.